Speak and Find with Dr. Mark Rivera, where we break down issues of religion and faith to help gain a better understanding of the sacred and secular. In this episode, we'll explore the ongoing debate around women in church leadership. For centuries, women have played a vital role in the church and have been largely excluded from formal leadership positions. Despite this, women have emerged as prominent figures in their communities and have become strong advocates for change. We're here with Dr. Mark Rivera, who will provide insights into the reasons behind this exclusion and the effects it has had on the church and society at large. Throughout the episode, we'll examine various arguments for and against women in leadership including biblical interpretations, cultural norms, and institutional barriers. We'll explore the historical context of this debate, as well as the contemporary challenges and opportunities for women in leadership. Recently, this debate had been brought to the surface once again, as the Southern Baptist Convention has removed the largest congregation, Saddleback Church of Lake Forest, California, for appointing a woman as a teaching pastor. Dr. Mark Rivera, where should we start with such a heavy topic like this? Help us understand what's going on with women in church leadership. Well, first of all, of all hello to you and the audience. But yeah, this is a very, very hot topic, um, which is, it just amazes me how much traction this, this gets so quickly and how it overwhelms the conversation within Christianity uh, in such a way that everything else that is probably more important all of a sudden, you know, uh, goes to the wayside. But yeah, it's quite controversial. It's quite um, huge when you see a movement like the Southern Baptist Convention, the largest Baptist denomination in the world, uh, decides to uh, remove, or the, the word that they use is interesting too, because also the vernacular is so important to get it together. They disfellowshipped. Uh, disfellowship. Yeah, disfellowship Saddleback. Simply because, and the reason that they gave to put it in a nutshell is basically that their uh, statement is that Saddleback had not been upholding the teachings of the Southern Baptist Convention in this area, uh, which they had for a long time. All of a sudden, they moved away, and so the result was that Saddleback has been removed. And it doesn't say anything about Rick Warren specifically, but the, definitely the church, which is huge because the church is huge. This is a, a, a historic church, a renowned church. It's known not only in Christian circles, but also outside of Christian circles. And the other thing that's important to note is that Saddleback was not the only church that was disfellowshipped, but there were other churches as well at the same time that were removed, simply as you stated at the beginning of the, of the opening here, um, that they have a teaching, a woman that's a teaching pastor in that group. Uh, so it is a fascinating subject. It is a subject that takes a lot of uh, uh, intellectual capital, if you will, to try to figure it out. Uh, but also, I think it, it it takes it consumes it really absorbs so much time that, in my view, can be you know used in more productive ways. But but let let's get into it. I mean, it's a not a new subject. It's been talked about before, and some of the things that we'll mention have been mentioned before, and. Uh, so in a, in a way, there's no surprise to this step being taken by the Southern Baptist. So let's start with a little bit of context just for any of our listeners that may not even understand why would this even be an issue? I mean, we have female leaders in the workplace. We have female teachers in schools. We have 
uh, female politicians. So just to give some uh, context again to for any listeners that may not even be familiar or may even be surprised uh, that churches actually do follow a lot of churches. It's pretty common, right? That follow this doctrine of women should not hold leadership teaching titles. Walk us through that context. Yeah, you you hit something that's very, very important, and that is that we find almost a level of hypocrisy, if you will, because if you look at some of these same arguments being made by the men in these organizations, by the way, many of them also occupy significant positions in, in, as you mentioned, the political world or influence in the political world and the corporate world, banking and so forth, And yet in those institutions, they push for equality in the workplace, but then in the church, it's a whole different thing. It's a whole different world, Mm. which in in a way I I understand and I agree there needs to be a a, a demarcation between secular and sacred as this podcast is actually what it, well, that's what we feed on, if you will. Yeah, Yeah, that's what we address. Uh, But nonetheless, there seems to be a level of of duality here. Let 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 me take away the word hypocrisy duality where in one venue it's a lot in the other venue it's not in a world where even here where we we launched this podcast and i minister here in the city of new york we have significant women that lead our governor is a female she visited us not too long ago mm. the 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 commission of the police department here in, in new york city the largest in the world um is a female so it's interesting that the church as leading edge as it wants to be as innovative as it wants to be all of a sudden in this area now the way I want to approach this is I want to approach this fairly. Mm-hmm. And by that I mean we cannot point the finger unless we understand. One of the things that I've always used in myself, I will not be a critique something unless I at least strive to understand it. So I think that, you know, if we look historically of, of the Southern, at the Southern Baptist Convention specifically, this should be of no surprise to anyone because this is the way they have been all along. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've had this in their polity. Uh, in the way they plant churches, in the way they train their people, in their seminaries. This is part of their theology and something that they've embraced all along. It's almost like making a comparison with the Catholic Church, for example. The Catholic Church is, is, is unbending in the area of the sanctity of marriage. Marriage, according to Catholicism, is between a man and a woman. They have not yielded that in I don't even know how since long. Since the beginning, right? Yes, yeah, since the beginning. So we, we have to understand that the Southern Baptists have been in this lane mm-hmm. for as long as they've been around. And they're the largest Baptist um, denomination in the world. So they've been training their people. They've been functioning this way. This is the way it has been along. And I think that's why it's so explosive now what's happened. But, you know, in reality, this, this even precedes... Um, the popular name of Rick Warren and Saddleback. Uh, if you look just not too long ago, just a year, about a year or so, or two years ago, um, uh, Beth Moore, a very well-known uh, teacher and renowned in Christian in the Christian world outside of her tradition, she comes from a Southern Baptist uh, tradition. Mm. That's the basis from which she emerges, and she's been loyal and faithful in that area. Her and her husband have been all along. But then she decided that she can no longer function in the area of her calling and anointing uh, while still being connected, if you will, or affiliated or, 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 or a member of, a participant of the Southern Baptist Convention. And then she, she pulled away. I like the way she did it, though, because she didn't leave knocking the tables down and turning the tables over, but rather it just didn't work for her anymore. She left in a way that I think is a model for many 
to follow or at least to examine that just because you don't agree, you can leave in the best way possible. And so she preceded um, uh, uh, Rick Warren and Saddleback leaving, or Rick Warren didn't leave, Saddleback specifically leaving uh, on this topic that's been very, very you know important to the Southern Baptist Convention. So like you said, this has been part of uh, the Baptist tradition since the beginning of that denomination's you know, existence. But so let's talk about the biblical basis for that. Where does that come from? What does the Bible say? How have they justified that, um, yeah, that belief for so long? Yeah, that again, that would be, we would have to plunge in very deeply. I like, I like, let's do this first. I think it might be a better or a, a, a way that might be more helpful. And that is that we have to understand the context of Saddleback and Rick Warren specifically. And I want to put Beth Moore aside a moment, even though I introduced her into the conversation, uh, because uh, uh, Rick Warren, let, let, let's back well, up. Well, he's the, the head pastor of he's Saddleback. Not, not only that, he's the founding pastor. The founding pastor, so, head pastor, he runs things. Right. He's the one that's been in charge. He's the one that started that church 40 plus years ago. He's been the only pastor there. He's at a place now in his trajectory that he's really moving away and has moved away from the senior pastor role mm-hmm. of that particular church. Now, that's, that also is significant. It's huge. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've been to Saddleback. It's an amazing, amazing thing when you see the organizational uh, excellence that they exude and how they do things. Um, so he's he for a few years already, he's been transitioning away from the senior pastoral for whatever various reasons he might have had, personal or public. That's what was happening, which, by the way, is the course that churches take and, and organizations take. The founder comes in, starts it. But after a while, you get older, you can't help getting older. And uh, and then you hand it over to a successor. So that's where Rick Warren was. And so he decided now to initiate this transition, which he transitioned over to the person that actually took over the church as his successor, which is a pastor by the name of Andy Wood. So Andy now comes in, and he's a successor to um, to Rick Warren at Saddleback, the historic Saddleback Church, right? Well, it turns out that Andy is married to his wife, right? <laughs> Stacy. <laughs> Makes sense. <laughs> which also has an anointing and a calling and, you know, similar to, to Beth Moore, uh, uh, an incredible teacher. Yeah. So Andy now comes in as the senior pastor, and now his wife becomes now a teaching pastor at Rick Warren's church. And by the way, Saddleback not only ordained you know, ordain a, a, a place to allow her to be there, but Saddleback had also ordained other women in the church. Now, that again in the Southern Baptist tradition, that's some that's a road you don't want to go down. Hmm. But Rick Warren felt, and I and I almost wanted to say because of you know he's such a significant and prominent pastor, but I don't think he acted that way. I think he acted on biblical principles. He 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 said I have read stuff from him, and he says that he won't make a change unless he can vi- find some solid biblical platform from which to move. Mm-hmm. And and by the way, that's important for us to honor. Mm-hmm. So because uh, that here's what that tells me when I when I heard and read that about Rick Warren, is that um you you have to get to a place in leadership where you hear the secular uproar. You hear the congregational uproar. You hear all sorts of things. But at the end of the day, you have to go back to the Word. And we did a segment already on the Bible. Mm-hmm. That that has to be the point of departure for all the decisions that you make, number one. Mm-hmm. Number two is you have to settle on 
a position, even if it's controversial, which obviously Rick did. He examined it closely. And then the third thing, which is very, very important in leadership, is that Rick Warren, by what I see and what I've read and what I've seen about him and the way he unpacked this thing, he's willing to stand before the maker and give account for this decision. Now, that's important because many people had hide behind, and I'm talking about now people that occupy pulpits, men or women, it doesn't matter. They, they hide behind pulpits. They also hide behind committees mm. and, 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 con- and constitutional things. And you this know. wasn't that type of decision no. for Rick Warren. This was him looking at the word of God, not being influenced by really outside people. Right, that's the point. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cor- correct. I mean, he's been faithful to the Southern Baptist tra- uh, Convention for decades. Yeah. So, yeah. Th- but during that time, as I, we, he grew up in it. I think he even has. Yes. Uh, I think even his family and stuff like he yes. has the he has Baptist pedigree, basically. Yeah, he, he, he has. <laughs> you know, he has Southern Baptist DNA. Right. Exactly. You know, yeah. uh, it's there. So he, he, we, you can't say that he's been disloyal. You cannot. Mm-hmm. Say, I mean, you could say whatever you want to say, but it's hard to conclude that against Rick Warren because he's been faithful all along. He's been a unapologetic Southern Baptist convention church and pastor. Right. You know, he trained in their schools and everything and, and taught their, their, their polity, their, their, uh, their theology, their theology rather. So he's had a time to wrestle. And I, I think this subject, this topic takes me to that place where as leaders, we need to exa- and wrestle. We need to examine and wrestle through some things that just because they have been the norm for all along doesn't mean mm-hmm. that it's 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 right. It may have come from a good place, you know. It may have come from a, a wholesome place. The motivation was right, but as you start to look at scripture and start to examine it, and he's done that. And there was an article recently that that, that I read with regard to Rick also. The, the verses that he uses, right? Because that was your question. What, what, what Bible verses substantiate or don't substantiate this? Um, and the argument can be made that, that the argument is very weak on, on either mm. side. You have to decide which way you're going to, to, to fall on this. Mm. Um, and, and Rick presents uh, some valid arguments. You know, when he, when, he, when he makes a statement of in the upper room, right, in the book of Acts, he uses that whole story where women were gathered in the upper room as well. Right. And when the scripture says that all were filled with the power of the Holy, the Holy Spirit, Spirit, women were also filled. Right. So if there's going to be a separation of men and women, let's Why didn't that happen in the upper room? At, correct. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Of all right, of all yeah. the things, right? Repent was a message that came out, the kingdom of God and all that. Why not? Why not? Couldn't make- you even I don't mean to get too off topic, but like you you're sparking other uh thoughts about the Bible. Couldn't you even argue that the first because the first people that saw the risen Jesus was were women, and they were the ones to initially share that news that he is alive. You can almost argue they were the first evangelists, almost, or the first... Witnesses. Witnesses. At least witnesses, yeah. 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 In fact, you, I could just back away. Just keep, going, <laughs> just keep going down that road. You're doing just great. Absolutely. The, right. the, the whole thing of we saw him first, the women saw him first. Yeah. You, you can't argue with that. That's the same Bible that the Southern Baptists teach at their place and, you know, and others too, because this is, this is not a topic that's exclusive to the Southern Baptists. Many other uh, traditions also follow suit on this one with not allowing women 
to be teachers or pastors in churches. So what is it? Is it the title? Is that the issue for the Baptists? Is that is that the threshold, the line they're not supposed to go? Well, I'm just trying to put myself in the shoes of the listeners of who are trying to wrap their minds around this. Even me, honestly, trying to wrap my mind. Like, where do you... Where's the issue? Where yeah, did the, this come the, from? The primary examples are what happens in the Church of Corinth, where women were not allowed to teach men. It says it that way. Mm. Uh, so that's the, the 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 basic hook, if you will, the basic foundational text. So it is what was going on in in the book of, in in the Church of Corinth, which, by the way, was a crazy church. You know, I've always said that when I taught it, <laughs> it's a cosmopolitan church, and it was you know it was uh, they needed a lot of control, uh, but but nonetheless. That's where it emerges from. But the problem with that, which is a valid examination, right? Valid. Biblical interpretation and examination. But when you now compare that to other passages of Scripture, rather than confirm that we should not allow women in, in, in pastoral roles or teaching roles, it creates a conflict, as the one that Rick Warren shows us in and I'm not teaching, I can't teach like Rick Warren. I don't have that level of expertise. But the, the passages that he uses, uses, we have to at least stop to examine them. Yes, there were other women in the, uh, there were, rather not other women, there were, there were women in the upper room. And when it says yeah. they were all filled, that's what the text says. So then the women had to be filled as well. Yeah. And then they came in, that's really the birth of the church. So the church was birthed with women being present. You know, the women saw him first, as you had stated before. The men yeah. were scattered; they were hiding, but they were they they saw him first. He uses also um, uh, not only in the upper room that, but he uses the the words that Peter um, in the book of Acts later on. Now Peter gets up and starts to preach, right, and preaches that tremendous sermon. Yes, um, where he quotes then the book of Joel, and then it says in in Joel, "Your sons and daughters will prophesy." Now. I don't know if if you if you don't want women in pulpit in the pulpit. How do you explain that? Sons it says, and daughters and and daughters right. prophesy. Mm -hmm. I mean, if we stop there for a moment, at least, and and I'm, what I want to do here is before we take sides on this issue, let's understand the argument. Mm -hmm. Let's understand the presentation. So, yeah, Rick Warren, that that's a valid point. So you know, the, that's another passage that he uses. You know, the sons and daughters will 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 prophesy. We have to. Stop for a moment and, and and think about that. You know, in the upper room, there there were women. The other thing that he uses, which I, I thought it was so daring, but when I read it through and then I examined it on myself, I said, you know, it, it makes sense. It makes sense. Uh, the whole uh, Great Commission. I mean, if you're an evangelical, you can't go further than the, the Great Commission. And and some would argue, yeah, well, you know, the uh, uh, anyway, there, let me leave that alone because we'll go into another area. But the Great Commission in Matthew 28, when not only go and preach, but then it says make disciples. Mm -hmm. There's no exclusion there. There's no exclusion yeah. there of men only because that's the argument that they right. shouldn't teach uh, 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 men. Uh, and so Rick uses that as well. And when you th when I think about it, I said, you know, th that's a valid Valid point. Now, I want to stop here for a moment because I'm not going to jump on this decision just because of Rick Warren. Right. You know, but I also am not going to crush what he has done because he's Rick Warren. Right. I think, and I'm doing what I said earlier. I, am exa I examine this on my own and then I land in a place where I am comfortable rendering account to God because we have to give account to God. And on this issue particularly, you know, that women should or should not, I mean, huge battles have been happening over this very topic. The reason why now it's more prominent, well, we're living in the, in the, in the era now of, 
of, of technologies, so news gets out more often. We're also looking at the big stars, if you will, Beth Moore, Rick Warren, and those churches, and what's going on in, in there. But this topic has been discussed for so, so long, you know, um, so long. Yeah, no, it, it has, and it's, it still seems to be a topic of debate. Um, Rick Warren, he must have known this was going to happen, right? Like, I mean, obviously he made, like you said, he made it very clear. And I did read about that too, that he he made this decision based on what, um, based on his interpretation of the Bible. There were things that were highlighted to him that were never highlighted in that way before. I think from what I heard, he did a recent podcast, I think with Christianity Today, mm-hmm. um, where he talked about how he came to this, this decision, this new point of view, I think about three years ago is what he said. Right. So this is kind of a new... Um, thing for him, but to officially appoint a teaching pastor, a, a woman teaching pastor, um, he must have known what the repercussions would have been. Yeah, I, I agree with you. But you know what that speaks to me? Forget the subject of women in ministry. Forget that. What it speaks to me is an individual that wrestles with the text, mm-hmm. but also elevates the text higher than a denomination and higher what is than what is convenient. That's a lesson to be learned. So if anything I learned about this, one of the lessons that comes out for me from Rick Warren, this man is principled. Yeah, He has values because he placed scripture above the DNA that's in his blood yeah. for the Southern Baptist Convention. The organization he, he was yeah. part of and the it, rules that were, yeah. yeah. How often do we acquiesce? And I'm talking about leaders right now. How often do we acquiesce to things simply because that's what you know the general population believes? Or worse, we acquiesce because we don't want the pushback. He knew. He knew that, I'm certain, being a lifelong Southern Baptist person, he has seen through the years other churches, not as well-known as Saddleback, be disfellowshipped, and the, the pastors as well be disfellowshipped, and you know the ordination taken away or whatever, whatever however they do it in these, I don't, I'm not familiar with how they do it, but you know, being removed from pulpits, he has seen that. So he knew what the consequences, but you know, back back to it. You know, in leadership, you have to be willing to lay it all on the table. You know, if you feel convicted about something, I really don't think that Rick did this to defend women. Mm. I don't think that's why he did it. I think he did it because he doesn't see in Scripture how to stop women yeah. or anybody. There was there was a woman who was clearly qualified, and there was no biblical basis to disqualify her. Yeah. Yeah. Part of his journey, and I, and I was reading in, in an article that it was saying that, you know, he goes back to traveling all over the world and all that and going to places where there were women pastoring 10,000 member churches, 40,000 member churches. So how, how do you argue with that? Yeah. How, how, how do you argue with that? Because I also don't believe, and this is important to note, and maybe someone will be uncomfortable with what I'm going to say, but this is not now a carte blanche for every woman to be a pastor, See, the, the way I come out of the gate is I, I, I come out of the gate this way. I don't, in fact, in the church that I pastor, we have eight pastors that help me serve this congregation and this ministry. Four of, four of them are women mm-hmm. and powerful women, right? But I didn't come out of the gate looking for women pastors. Right. I look for calling regardless of, I don't even look at when I'm, gonna, when I'm going to uh, place someone here in leadership. Gender is not on, the, on one of the requirements. It really is not one of the requirements. Mm. And that's before this with Rick Warren and my whole position. And it isn't that I'm pro whatever, one gender. No, I'm pro people that are called because there's some men, there's some women in ministry that shouldn't be in ministry. T- 
teaching pastors and pastors. Mm. But there's some men also that shouldn't be. <laughs> and <laughs> it has nothing to do with gender. <laughs> nothing in my opinion, with the way I look at it. But right. you see, I'm 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 strong enough in my p- convictions and values that I'll stand on that even to the point of when I get to eternity that I have to give account to God. I'm willing to express to him how I, you know, landed in those places. And so with Rick Warren, I don't think that it was that he was uh, demonstrating a pro-women thing. I think that he was looking more at a, at a biblical basis for the decision, which is a lesson to be learned for, for all of us that serve in churches wherever we are. No, I, I know I asked this before, and I apologize for repeating it, but where do they get it from the Bible? I know you mentioned Corinthians, mm-hmm. that they talked about, um, what is it, uh, women should not be teaching men. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I heard references to Timothy and Titus. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar? What, where where do, is, that, is that where they get this idea of women should not be? It seems like it's the title that's the issue. It seems like they can't have this gifting. I'm, I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of what this Baptist thought process comes from, where do they get this from, biblically? Again, when we go back to the scripture, we have to contextualize, you know, and understand what went on there. And in, and, um, in, in many circles back then, back to the pastorals that you mentioned, Timothy and Titus, those are the pastoral epistles written by the Apostle Paul, and he's writing as the mentor to his mentees, in this case, Timothy, and then also uh, Titus. Um, during that time, it was more of a, like it has been so for so long, male-dominated cultures, yeah. where the uh, you know the the, uh, the ruling people in the province and the in politics and certainly in in religion, in the practice of religion, uh, were were male. You know, even the affirmations that we have of God, and we talked about this in the previous podcast about God. You know, we we engender a view in our minds of God as male, fatherly, you know, that that kind of thing, uh, paternal. Yes. Uh, so th- those things were not, they're not just alive now, but they were alive back then as well. So they use those passages to to read into that, even to now that, that there's an argument in, in theological circles about um, um, uh, the, 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 who, who wrote the book of Hebrews, for example, mm-hmm. and this evidence surfacing recently, um, oh, recently, to my knowledge, maybe it's been around for a long time, but I'm just discovering it now, that it might have been a woman that wrote, because the book of Hebrews, we don't know, it's aggregated all the time to Paul because of the way the theology is is unpacked and the writing and the arguments are made. It sounds very Pauline, so it's, it's attributed to that, where for so long, that's what I ascribe the book of Hebrews to. Uh, but now there's evidence uh, that I've discovered recently, and again, it may have existed, but me, I'm discovering it now, that it might have been a woman that wrote uh, now that would be offensive. Yeah, you know, offensive. I'm sure a lot of people I mean, would not accept that. No. And you know, by <laughs> the, the way, church. The, I, I just marvel. Honestly, I marvel at at the intensity of passion with regard to women not getting involved and yeah. women stay in your place, kind of thing. You know, but even on staying your in your place, I do want to insert this too, and I know this is going to be controversial as well. But I think uh, women should should stay out of this for a moment. This whole argument. This debate, this this conversation? Yeah, yeah. You know why? Because it Well, wasn't... we're having this conversation. We're just two guys talking about it. <laughs> well, good that point. Out, right? Good point. We're talking about women not in leadership. And, <laughs> and there's not a woman to be found here. We don't have here. a woman here. Yeah. Not it's... even on hold on a phone call, yeah, I'm right? I'm calling it out. Yeah. <laughs> 
And the reason I say that to to my sisters is to stay out of this car argument for a moment because let the let the guys fight it out. <laughs> why, why get your blood involved in all of this and your sweat involved and your intellect involved in all of this? Let the, they're the ones that made we're the ones that made the the, the 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 controversy. It's the guys who have the issue, really, right? <laughs> exactly. It's not the women. Yeah, right? women can look really good when when this thing is resolved. Which, by the way, I don't think it'll ever be resolved because it's part of what it is. You just have mm. to land somewhere. And 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 then move forward. I, I admire people on either side of this argument. You know, I'm, I don't stop admiring them. I may not agree, but agree doesn't dis, agree or disagree doesn't mean that you're my friend or my enemy. You know, you you're, you're probably doing a very effective job in what you're doing, and fine, that's fine. It's for, you know, you as long as you can give account to God for what you do. But it is controversial, and you know, I think that. It, and back back to the point I just made. It's it's the uh, the guys we're the ones fighting over this thing and you know what m- what amazes me too is is um man of all the things we can be focusing on our attention and energy this subject right now this subject of uh, Rick Warren and Beth Moore and women teaching and pastoring and all of that has jumped ahead of pro life issues has mm-hmm. jumped ahead of the sanctity of marriage issue has jumped ahead it's amazing to me. On a subject that, why are we even, you know, why should it even matter to that degree? Yeah. You know, we've seen in my journey and my walk with the Lord and certainly in the, in, the, in the ministry that I'm privileged to head, incredible women that came in and incredible intercessors and prayer and teachers and, and preachers and, 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 and on and on and on. But, you know, it's the issue that's alive today and we just have to put it in the place that it needs to be, you know. And to be clear, there there are biblical examples of women doing ministry throughout the Bible and, and even having titles. I mean, I have a few listed in front of me. Mary, Miriam, the first female prophetess in history. Um, Deborah, a prophetess and the only female judge. Uh, Queen Esther, an Israeli liberator. Lydia, a businesswoman. Phoebe, a helper and a deaconess. Uh, Priscilla, another businesswoman. So clearly... There are biblical examples where a woman is the main character of a story. But listen, what about Mary giving birth to our Savior? There it wasn't go. a man. There it could go. have been a man. And some people say, oh, it couldn't have been a man because men don't have you know, the, the reproductive stuff to bring a baby. Are you, are you limiting the ability of God, the whole, the whole uh, uh, immaculate uh, Con- conception, conception, right? Yes. The big, the can't, we can't understand this scientifically or anywhere else. Well, why couldn't it have been a man? And I mean, I don't, I don't want to keep arguing because to keep arguing is crazy. But when you think about it for a moment, in fact, in fact, Mary Magdalene, right? And, and mm. I, had, I had looked for this quote because I, I thought about it and I had to find it in Matthew 28, right? Mm. The Lord tells her, she becomes the first preacher. Mm. The Lord tells her, go and tell the others. Go tell the others. Of, uh, <laughs> yeah. It, I, I think about it for a moment. It wasn't a guy. Yeah. It was a woman, Mary Magdalene, and then not only that, a, a woman in the periphery, if you will, of, of society. Yeah. You know, the, the Lord did not look at it that way, that, and and I and I'm comfortable enough to make that statement and and let that be a, a foundational value for me, and and I'll stand before my Maker and explain to him. And if I'm wrong, God is merciful. I'd rather anyway have God judge me than anybody else judge me. So yeah, um, because the motive is not to open a platform for women. The, the motive is not to stop individuals that are called by God, anointed by God to do the work of ministry. You notice that didn't have any de- gender in, in yeah. that, that, that definition. That's where I come out of. 
but we decide to put it into these fragmented pockets of men and, and women and, and all of that. And, and it just muddles the water. And meanwhile, we have a, a task to be done and we're spending, you know, all this energy and focus on, 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 uh, on this subject, which by the way, since I've been a pastor, for, I'm in my fifth decade of pastoring. This has been the sub a subject all the time. Wow. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Wow. So, so throughout your whole entire ministry career, this has always been a, a, a debatable topic. Yeah, and I get to a place. I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, we're doing it now because obviously it's a hot topic. Yeah, you know, the surveys show that, and people are thinking about that, and it's a hot topic. That it, it really is. But you know, I even tell women that are pastors and that are leaders, don't even get into the argument. Just walk in your walk in your calling, walk in your anointing. You know, don't get an attitude toward people that disagree with you. You know, they'll have to render account to God and so will you. Because, you know, you also don't want to get bitter. You don't want to get angry. You don't want to, you know, lash out, which is another thing. I like the way Beth Moore did it and mm. also the way Rick Warren. They didn't bring, burn those bridges. Right, right. Yeah. You know, he, that's he, true. Yeah, that's very important because I think that's how Christians should behave. That's how we should carry ourselves, you know, in a very dignified way. Another question that might throw a wrench into this whole thing. How much of this is just about men holding on to power. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I'm going there. I'm going there. Ooh, uh, I mean, I don't I, I mean, uh, yeah, I I got it. I I know what you're saying. Um You know, I mean, I'm just saying cuz you know, it seems like a lot of these biblical references that uh can be used to advocate the point that only men should hold these leadership titles, it seems to be more culturally based, especially back in those times again when Tim the time of Timothy writing his um, his letters, Titus, you know, we're talking about a time period where women had little to no rights, you know? Um, so a lot of it is definitely culture. And even with us, I mean, you know, women are still fighting for equal rights in, in a lot of, a lot of ways. Things are a lot closer than they were ever before in human history, but it's th even that in general outside of the church is still, you know, uh, gender equality is still, um, something that's being fought for. So I can't help but take it there and wonder, um, I mean, it's speculation. It's just getting your thoughts on you. No, no, no. I, yeah. I, and it's a valid, valid observation. I think we have to be honest with ourselves that um, when we make decisions, in this case, the Southern Baptist or whomever on this point, they're various streams that inform us. Mm. Um, we have to follow, once again, the example of Rick Warren. Let Scripture, let the Bible be the foundation that's the primary source. But we also have to realize and admit that there are other things. There are cultural things. There are um, things that uh, disrupt our masculinity. Mm -hmm. To answer your question specifically, and I, I, we have, it's true. Yeah, it's true. Some men have difficult time having a woman boss, a woman supervisor, or whatever it might be. Um, so it, it is valid. I, I don't want to say that it isn't. It's 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 awkward to say that, but. Things do inform us. Yeah. Convenience informs us. You know, fears. Fears. Some might feel that it's, you know, many, many churches, the abundant uh, population of the congregation is usually female. So there there may be a fear, an innate fear. I, I, and I can't help it, but going back to leadership, if you lead out of fear, announced or not announced, you know, that's blatant or that's subliminal inside of you, if you lead on fear, you've got a lot of work to do. Mm. on yourself because how is it possible to you for you to lead on with fear 
you know, it's some way, somehow it's going to seep out. If you lead out of your cultural context, you know, the same thing. You you have to, that's why calling is so, so important that you know that you're called because then you don't have to worry. You may have more eloquent people around you, better preachers around you, better leaders around you, but you don't feel unsettled because you you know. So even back to culture, even back to masculinity, uh, is it a man thing? Yeah, I, I think in some cases it might be, it may very well be that. Yeah, and of course you can't, you know, this is speculation. It's, I'm sure this isn't a blanket thing for all men in leadership, but it is an important thing, I think, for us to just recognize. And, and if there are any people listening that are in positions of power, self-evaluate, check your motives. Like you said, where are these decisions based on? Um, and it is important to remember that the Bible is above whatever rules and regulations the Baptist denomination came up with. Yeah. Or is it? Or is it? We yeah. have to ask that question honestly. Or yeah. is it? You know, and, and also the question, why am I reacting this way? Why am I reacting this way? Right. You know, and, and oftentimes we let others prepare the foundation for us. When you occupy the primary seat in a church ministry or in any organization, the buck stops with you. Mm-hmm. So you have to make a call on what you're going to do, not because the denomination said not because a scholars have said, you know, no, you have insight and you have the ability to to look at the text just like anybody else and then read it in your context and what it will imply for you. Uh, I read a, a verse that, I, you know, and I'm, I, and I'm trying not to do this in this podcast, but I have to because this it. is part of my, my personal devotion that speaks about leadership. It says in, and this is Peter, right, in 1 Peter uh, chapter 3, verse 15. Listen to this because there's a part here that, connects with what I stated a few moments ago about, you know, um, don't come out angry and don't try and, you know, be vindictive or all that. You know, that was my, my advice to the the ladies that are listening to, to this podcast. But look at this, 1 Peter 3.15. But in your heart, in your hearts, uh, revered Christ as Lord, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But... Do this with gentleness and respect. Mm. And that speaks of motive. And I think in, in that's what I would give the advice to my sisters that are listening my, right now. If you feel called, if you feel God's anointing over your life, if you feel that God has placed you and has a specific mission over your life, walk in it. Walk in it, you know, even if, in fact, it says in the text at the end that some people do things out of evil, for it is better if it is the will, of, uh, if it's God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. And evil is that motivation. It could be that motivation that comes out that I'm going to get even, that I'm going to show them. I have more. I've studied more. I know the subject, you know, all around. Uh, no, let your motive be gentle. Let your motive be loving, and at the end of the day, everyone's going to have to give account to God, particularly those in leadership. It's a higher, it's a higher responsibility, and you're going to be, you know, others going into heaven may only spend a few seconds in front of the Lord, but pastors are going to have to spend probably weeks and days giving <laughs> explanation. No, it's not going to be that way, but <laughs> but, uh, but uh, it's going to be. No, we have to give account. Picture for it's us, a yeah. bigger. You need bigger shoulders. It's a bigger responsibility. Yeah, and that's the other thing. Who who wants to run to this thing of suffering, right? I mean, I love what I do. But sometimes explain this thing of suffering. What are you talking well, about? Well, explain it. You know, pastoring might look wonderful on sun, on Easter Sunday, but when, you know when you're dealing with all of the stuff that you deal with, and so much of it is in private. And by the way, you're talking to you're hearing a guy right now that I don't complain about. I cannot believe God called me to be a pastor. I cannot believe that. I just cannot believe that. But I walk in obedience to the Lord, 
And I'm a, I'm a person that I love, simply love what I do, mm. right? But, you know, you want to invite others to, to come into this? You know, you have to make sure you're called because if you're called, you're still going to have suffering because we always think about the power of his resurrection, but we never think about the, 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 the weight and the, uh, of his suffering. We never think of a Gethsemane. We think of the resurrection, the ascension, yeah. but we never think of the suffering of a Gethsemane. The toll it took. Yeah, yeah, yeah the, exactly. The burden of responsibility. Yeah. So that's the the other thing. What what are we fighting for? You you know, are you fighting for back to your? Are, are you fighting for your position for your title? Mm-hmm. No, I mean when your when your task is over, the Lord will tell you you move out of the way and let the Lord bring in whoever He wants to, whoever we hunt we want to. The other thing too, if you know, if 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 male pastors have such a pristine record for success. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, he says sarcastically. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I did say it sarcastically, but it's true. You yes. know, here we are. What are we really defending? Yeah. What are we really defending? And and the Lord says, I will build my church. Mm. So the Lord's going to take care of his church. He's going to defend his church. I don't have to build his church. I don't have to defend his church. I don't. Yeah. Uh, that's taking the place of Christ. Christ is, he's the bridegroom, right? So he'll, he'll take care of whatever needs to be taken care of. And, you know, but anyway. <laughs> interesting interesting no yeah those, those are very good points and it, and it echoes what you said before i mean I'll, I'll just bring it back up very briefly why you mentioned you know ladies maybe it's best to not even get into this discourse because no. it's almost a waste of time and it and it's the guy's problems not even your problems let the guys true be silly and <laughs> waste time debating that because um because you know at the end of the day it really doesn't this is the takeaway i'm hearing it really just comes down to calling and gifting not gender. You know, if you have that call and if this is something you're meant to do, um, gender should not be a disqualifier. Right. I had a, a, a gentleman approach me years. It has to be maybe 10 or 15 years ago. I was, I, obviously, I was still pastoring then and, and and on this subject. And he calls me aside. I was in a conference and I made some statement about about the pulpit, something similar to what I've been saying here. Um, um, and he wanted to talk to me. And he was an older gentleman. And uh, obviously, you know, studied and academically proven. And I was uh, a lot younger then. And so he was going to, quote unquote, teach me. And so he says, uh, no, young man, I wanted to speak. And it's just him and I now sitting. <laughs> and he says, I just wanted to talk about some of the statements you made about women in ministry. And I didn't make statements. <laughs> I, I made one statement that was alluding to my position. So he picked up on it that I'm not anti-women in, in ministry. Got it. And okay. he wanted to now teach me. So, um, you know, I'm very careful. When I make a public statement on an on a, a issue of theology, I want to make sure that I not only got it right, my ducks lined up, but that I believe what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So as I realized where he was going with this and that he was being hierarchical also with me, you know, talking like, now he's going to take this poor you know, young boy now, which I wasn't a young boy then, but a young boy because he's a crusty old man and he's been through <laughs> through theology and taught, I don't know what. No no digs on him. I said right. it that way, but yeah, I, yeah, no yeah, digs no, on him. Yeah. Right? I want to apply what I just read about First Peter. <laughs> um, and I told him, sir, 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 let's just stop for a moment, you know, because he started to give me some of the passages. And I said, sir, I've thoroughly examined m- my position on this. And I, I thank you. I actually told him this. Thank you for you know, stopping to give me your observations. But we could do one of two things here, sir. Um, I've examined every text, every verse, because I can see where you're going. And I, and I applaud that. You've obviously researched the subject, but so have I. Yeah. And I've decided to land where I've landed. So we could do one of two things. Either sit here and go back and forth 
unpacking and peeling back verses of scripture. Yeah. You're not going to change my mind, and I'm obviously not going to even intend to change your mind. Or we could just join the rest of this group now that's having dinner right now, and we'll have a wonderful time. I'll still continue respecting you and honoring you, but we don't need to do this. Yeah. And I and I think we need to do more of that. Be clear with people, you know, in a very respectful way. Obviously, as respectful as you can, because some people want to get into an argument. I'm not going to get into an argument. You know, I've studied it. I've looked at it. This is where I land. I respect you for not landing in the same place, but please do the same thing with me. Respect me for where I sit. But with what I mentioned at the beginning, I'm willing to stand before God and tell Him this is why I decided this. If you can't do that, then follow along. Let others decide for you. But if you want to be a person that is a person that has high values and standards and principles that you're going to go by based on the information you garner from the text and your interpretation of the text. Exactly. And by the way, with that, you don't need uh, formalized training. You, you just need to have an honest heart. The Holy Spirit will guide people to, to get to the place that they need to but then be willing to land somewhere. Don't be ambiguous. Land somewhere. And to be clear, you where you land, there shouldn't be an exemption for women. Well, obviously, you have went female pastors in your church. Yeah, again, so. but, it, but 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 I want to clarify that point. It isn't because they're women that they're pastors. Right, right. I don't gender doesn't That's, play into. It's some, not a disqualifier for me. It's not a disqualifier or a qualifier. Or a qualifier. It, it's no. a zero. It's neutral. Mm-hmm. It really is, you know. Uh, I uh, when I see the call, and I look for, and that's an, maybe we could do a podcast on that later on too, at how you select leadership and develop leadership yeah, and all that's that a good stuff, idea. Yeah. mentoring people. Uh, but I don't. Gender has not been ever. Well, I, you know, again, I didn't grow up that way at all. I I grew up here in New York City, hearing incredible preachers that some of them who happened to be women, right. you know, in a world that at that time didn't allow it, but they were preaching up a storm and the Lord spoke to me and inspired me and strengthened me through, through some of them. And, you know, even right now, a very conservative school, like Union Theological, um, very liberal school, I should say, not a conservative, uh, the, uh, Union Theological Seminary is hosting, you know, the, the, this huge, uh, for us, for the brown people, mm-hmm. this huge teaching lecture series on, you know, Mama Leo and uh, Amy Cortese and uh, Julie Ramirez and other women that back then, this you're talking about the 60s and 70s, were leading edge. Mm. And in the world that I grew up, we didn't look at them as women preachers. We just looked at them as preachers. Preachers, yeah. Preachers. So that's it. I come from a different world view on that subject, so this is not a big leap for me. But back to your point, I don't go with, I've never prayed, Lord, now I want to install five women associate pastors. Yeah, I've never prayed that prayer. Right, right. Because like I said before, there's some women that shouldn't be pastors and there's some men that shouldn't be pastors either because they're not called. Any other final thoughts before we conclude this very interesting episode? You know, my final thoughts are these. I almost feel like we haven't really uh, surrounded this topic, but it is impossible to surround this topic with enough information for everybody because this is the controversy that has existed, is existing, and will always exist. My word of encouragement, those for, for those listening, just move forward in your calling. Mm-hmm. Find your lane, stay in that lane, don't let anything intrude into that lane, and be the best that you can be in that lane, knowing that one day you'll have to give account to God. That's all, what I want to say. Awesome. Dr. Mark Rivera, thank you again for taking time to tackle these tough, debatable topics that we are constantly throwing at you. This is very, very good. Um, I hope everyone who's listening enjoyed this latest episode of Seek and Find with Dr. Mark Rivera. 
we always appreciate you definitely subscribe to dr mark's blog online that's drmarkrivera.com thank you again thank you again and god bless